11. So last week we prayed, last week we talked about when Jesus prayed, and um, this week we're going to talk again when Jesus prayed. Last week we said he prayed when he had to make very important decisions. We need to pray when we have to make very important decisions. And remember we said we can't just tell God what we want and then move on and expect him to just do what you say because then you become the boss of God. But prayer means interacting with God. Prayer means that there's dialogue going on, not monologue. You just don't talk and God don't talk back. So when we are praying, we pray then we listen. We even got to the point where we understand that maybe we ought to do more listening during our prayer time than we do praying because God is more important. God has more important things to say than we can ever say. And so maybe it would be wise to say whenever I get together for my prayer time, it's smart to do Less talking than God. Because God has a whole lot that he can tell me, but I don't have nothing I can tell him. I can only express myself to him, and I can only uh, just echo his words that has already been written. So prayer is important, as we know, and we're talking about the, the times, the occasions when we should pray. And so last week we said we should pray when we have to make Important choices, major decisions. This week, we're going to talk about praying after being rejected. Prayer after being rejected. Prayer after being rejected. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20. I want you to open your heart to the Lord tonight. I believe the Lord wants to heal us. And I believe this lesson could bring about healing to our heart, healing to our soul tonight, if we will open up ourselves to the Lord and not worry about anything or anyone. Just put our mind and our focus on Jesus and let Jesus do what he can do to help us today. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20 says, well, let's start in verse 19. Verse 19 says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid, when you hear that word upbraid, it's talking about um, rebuke, correct, chastise. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. So he was... Uh, upbraiding the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sodom 
at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Two times we hear mighty works. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So, a lot of information there, but I like mighty works that we saw a couple of times. And so we're going to look at some things tonight that this text has revealed to us as we dig a little deeper into it. When Jesus prayed, we said tonight after being rejected. Jesus was familiar with the depth and range of human emotions. Human emotions, as we know, is a big part of who we are as people. We can't get away from emotions. As a matter of fact, most of what we do, we normally are inspired, guided uh, by our emotions. So depending on how our emotion is responding or acting, kind of will dictate the kind of actions that will come from us. So Jesus obviously was familiar with emotions because as much as Jesus was almighty God, he was also man. So he was both man and God. So he experienced what man experienced. So as a human, he experienced everything. He hungered, he thirsted, he got tired, everything. So he experienced human emotions as man. So don't discount that because we'll see it as we go along. He was moved by the hunger of the multitudes after they had listened to him teach all day long. So when Jesus fed the folks, he fed them because they sat and listened to him. And as they sat and listened to him, he fed them. So remember, I tell you, I told you, so don't get it twisted. Jesus responds to faith, not need. When he fed the 5,000, yes, they had a need. They were hungry. But the truth of the matter was he had them there that long. The truth of the matter is they were sitting there listening to him. And so he was courteous enough and kind enough to know if they sat there and listened to me, let me feed them. So that had nothing to do with whether or not they had faith. It had to do with our kind God understanding the least I can do if you sit here for a few hours and listen to me is to feed you because you didn't have a chance to eat. And so he understood the multitude being hungry, so he fed them. He became angry with the money changers who wanted to turn the temple into a den of thieves. His irritation was evident with the Pharisees on numerous occasions. So we can see emotions flowing from Jesus, whether it's because, uh, you know, people are using the, 
the temple to do things that they shouldn't use the temple to do, whether it's him seeing the multitude that sat and listened to him, being hungry, he fed them, whether it's the Pharisees saying all kind of erroneous things because they were just religious and not godly, and his emotion was evident in all of those situations. So Jesus demonstrated emotions in many cases. So he understands what emotions are all about. So as humans, we all have emotions. That included Jesus as well. So it is not surprising that when that, that Jesus would wrestle with feelings of rejection during, during his earthly ministry. So Jesus wrestled with, with rejections during his earthly ministry. As the old saying goes, listen to this one. As the old saying go, the ones you help the most are the ones who will hurt you the most. The ones who you help the most is the ones who will hurt you the most and you can't do anything about it. It's just a fact. So the people that you help the most that hurt you, don't be shocked. And don't start getting mad. I can't believe after everything I've done for you. Just understand that's just a part of the way things go. And before I close out tonight, I'll give you an idea as to how those things come about and maybe why they come about. The ones you help the most are the ones who hurt you the most. Jesus would have quickly agreed with this. After spending most of his ministry in the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, one would think these were the places where he would have been accepted the most. Instead, they became the places where he was frequently rejected. The places where Jesus did the most miracles, where Jesus spent the most time, the places where he just loved the people, doing so much for them, more than where he has done in any other place, were the people who rejected him the most. For three years, Jesus moved among these cities, these three cities. Countless times he entered their gates and did great works among the people. They became front row spectators to the miraculous. Bethsaida would have helped a special place for Jesus because it was from there that Philip, Peter, and Andrew came. Quite possibly Jesus would think of that city fondly because of the incredible blessing these men were to his ministry. So not only did he, that Jesus spend a lot of time in these three cities, not only that he did that, but also men of God that was a part of his ministry came from there. So he was fond of the people. He was fond of the cities. And he did more miracles in those three cities than any other places in all the earth while he walked the earth. In Bethsaida, Jesus miraculously fed the multitudes when they became hungry. While watching them eat, listen to this, while watching them eat, of the bread and the fish. I guess it, you can say it would be natural for him to begin to think, 
if they receive my bread and fish like this and eat it all up, I wonder if they will receive the spiritual bread, the bread of life, the word of God. I wonder if they would receive that just like they receive the physical food that I'm feeding them. He had hoped this natural miracle would pave the way for spiritual changes in their life. When you read the Bible, you will realize that God always introduced the natural things to us first. That when he begins to reveal the spiritual things, we will have something to, to draw from to get a little understanding of what the spiritual things will, un, will mean because he always introduced the natural first. Capernaum is where the lame man was lowered through the roof into the room where Jesus was. Here Jesus saw great faith on the part of those needing a physical miracle. Jesus saw people having faith for physical miracles. Lame people needed a miracle. As we said, the scripture talked about uh, this man that couldn't walk. He was lame. And, and his friends, because he couldn't walk to Jesus, and Jesus was in the, the house teaching, and he couldn't get to Jesus. His friends said, we're going to get you to Jesus so Jesus can help you. And so it was so crowded that they couldn't get inside the room from, e from any of the entranceway to get inside the house. And even if they could have got someone inside, there's no way they were going to get through that crowd to get that lame man in front of Jesus. And so what did they do? They climbed up on the rooftop. And they opened up the rooftop and they lowered their friend down right in front of where Jesus was speaking. And Jesus says, great is your faith. And he healed their friend and he walked out. They had faith for the need of a physical miracle. Pursuing and receiving physical miracles does not mean you and I will accept the teachings of the spiritual things. Because people were accepting of Jesus' physical miracles, it made sense that he would expect them to respond to spiritual things also. Shouldn't he expect they would turn to him in repentance and accept the message he had come to preach? They were quickly ready to receive the food he gave them, they were quickly ready to be touched by him, to be healed. Why wouldn't they listen to his preaching? Why wouldn't they want to hear the word of God that he's speaking? If this man could heal you by touching you or speaking to you, if this man could make sure that over 5,000 people are fed with just a, a couple of fishes and five loaves of bread, if he could make sure that happens, why wouldn't I listen to what he's saying? Yet, there is no record of anyone bowing a head in repentance in responding to his teaching in those three cities. While many call these three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, the evangelical triangle, because Jesus spends so much of his ministry there, we find little real acceptance of him from among the people. So here we go again. They accepted his food. 
They accepted the miracles he did, but they wouldn't accept his teaching. They accepted the miracles. They accepted the food, but they wouldn't accept the teaching. And I tell you this, starting with Jesus, who is the greatest teacher of all, the greatest compliment you can pay any teacher is not what you can do for them. It's by living out what they taught you. When, 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 when people apply the teaching that they obtain, that's the greatest compliment they can ever pay the teacher. And so whether it be a pastor, whether it be Jesus, whether it be a secular teacher, whoever it is that's teaching you, the greatest compliment you can ever pay them is by doing what they've taught you. Which also means the hardest blow you can give to them is ignoring what they taught you. That's the hardest blow you can give to them. Because any teacher that's worth his or her salt, they put time in to prepare, to prepare, to prepare, to teach. And to prepare and teach. And you don't see anything being done. People not applying what's being taught. That's devastating blows. Can you imagine investing the majority of your life and passion into anything only to be rejected when it really mattered. Can you imagine the overwhelming feeling of frustration he had to have felt when realizing he was being rejected by those he had tried to help the most? Studies have shown that the same area of the brain is affected when we are rejected and when we experience physical pain. So when you experience physical pain, like I might be a little bit, I'm, I'm pretty good, not bad. Yesterday I played some soccer. Haven't done that in a while. Listen, don't mess with me. I went and played against my son's um, team, eight, nine-year-olds. They're playing ball. And the coach says, we want the parents who want to play, come and play. And we kind of break the team up, and we made sure we played against our kids. So we weren't, none of the parents was on the same team with their kid. All the parents wanted to play against their kids. And guess who win? Who won? My team. Guess who scored the winning goal? Not One mom was out there playing and she would not take it easy on her kids. I mean, she was fighting with them with the ball. I'm like, when I was done, I went over, I said, you didn't take it easy on them, did you? No. They got to fight for everything. I said, okay, all right, all right. But we had another guy out there. He says, we're going to feel this tomorrow. I said, yeah, maybe. So I wasn't that bad when I got up this morning. <laughs> but physical pain and rejection affects the same area of your brain. It's pain no matter what. So when you get rejected by anything or anyone, you're experiencing pain. 
severe pain when you get rejected. In other words, rejection can arrest our attention and focus us solely on the fact that we have been hurt. Got to hear me tonight. Because I've been living for a little bit and I've been living living in God for a little bit. And what I'm saying here tonight probably is the single most focus or the single most thing that have destroyed or caused people to walk away from God. Rejection. The minute they feel rejection any place in any church, so many people have walked away from God because of rejection. Sometimes it's not even because God did it, but it's because someone rejected them and it hurt them so bad that it overtook them. Pain is not easy to handle. And so whether it's the physical pain or it's rejection, when people get rejected, it brings about great pain in their life. And when that starts to happen, you can lie if you want. What Brother Norman said, you lie, you fry. You can lie all you want. But the bottom line is when you're experiencing pain, you tend to can't focus on anything but your pain. I tell myself sometimes from the physical pain, like if I feel something hurting on a particular day and you feel yourself compensating in the way you move your body, you, you, you have to stop sometimes and say, well, I do anyway. I stop and say, oh, I don't care if it hurts. I'm just going to walk the way I always walk. But you have, to, you have to really be intentional to do that. But without being intentional, once you are feeling pain, you start to compensate for that Pain you're feeling. Without even thinking, you compensate for it. And so when we get rejected, that's pain. And so without even thinking about it, we start living to compensate to make sure we do something about that hurt. Whether that be staying away from somebody, whether that being just, you know, you know, just go someplace where you feel like nobody that can hurt you will be there. Whatever it is, you start compensating for that pain. It happens in our relationships. You get hurt, and even if you stay in a relationship, you behave a certain way in the relationship because you're compensating for the pain. Mm-hmm. Rejection. Rejection consumes our attention, and thoughts. I've seen it where people are in marriage relationship and something goes wrong. And because something goes wrong, they get consumed by the emotions and the thoughts of whatever rejection they experience in that relationship. And so now all they can think about every day is that rejection in that relationship. They can come to church and hear the word of God that can heal them, that can deliver them. But they are so focused and so concentrated on the pain of rejection that doesn't matter what the preacher preached, doesn't matter what the word of God says, nothing can change because they're compensating for the pain that they're experiencing all the time. And so it's a big problem that we have when we're talking about rejection. 
because people experience rejection in so many different platforms, so many different situations. They're experiencing rejection. And so once they experience that rejection, now all of a sudden, they're not saying it because we like that big and bad. Nobody want to be vulnerable. Nobody wants to tell the truth. Nobody want to express themselves. And so we compensate. We start acting tough. But the toughness just means I am going to build up my wall and I'm going to build up my fortress that nobody else can reject me. Unfortunately, when you build up your fortress so nobody else can reject you, you automatically reject God. That's what you forgot that part. So while you build it up, make sure that never happens again. Make sure they can't touch me no more. Make sure I'm not messing with them no more. All right, good. But believe me when I tell you, you cannot build up your fortress all around you so people can't hurt you and think God's going to get through that. Because that's the problem why sometimes we will come to church and not walk to the altar. Because we built up the fortress so people can't hurt us. And guess what? When it's time for you to surrender to God, oh no, they're not going to see me in my vulnerable state. All because we are going through rejection. Rejection can cause us to become numb to everything else Happening around us. We've been rejected. We got rejected that we just become numb and just ignore everyone. Ignore everything. None of us are exempt from rejection. We would like to think we are strong enough to handle it or that we will not experience it. Jesus preached in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, yet he was rejected. Jesus, God in flesh, ministered, did miracles, and he was rejected. As hard as it is to accept, we must realize not everyone is going to accept us. You have to be comfortable with that, that not everyone is going to accept you. And that doesn't mean that you shun them, you ignore them, or you don't talk to them. They could not, not accept you, and you can still deal with them. There will be times you will experience the painful feeling of rejection. That job you so desperately wanted does not come through. The loan you needed to that you applied for never got approved. The relationship you worked so hard to build ends up falling apart. It is actually unbiblical to think everyone will accept us. Luke chapter 6 verse 26 instruct us, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. In other words, if no one is rejecting you, do not be surprised when they seek to destroy you. One week, Jesus heard the words, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The next week he heard, crucify him, crucify him. One minute they love you, next minute they want you crucified. One minute you're the greatest, next minute you're the worst. Everybody won't accept us. But we got to accept that, that everybody won't accept us. 
Knowing Jesus was rejected should help us better understand when we are rejected. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Long before it ever happened, it was prophesied that many would reject Jesus. Mark 8.31 tells us, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Even when faced with the foretelling of his rejection, it did not keep Jesus from experiencing the hurt and frustration of being rejected. You cannot do anything possible to not experience rejection. You might as well just say, I'm not going to waste my time. You will be rejected multiple times in your lifetime, and there is nothing you can do about it. You can run away from someone you know has rejected you so they can't reject you again, but you might just run to somebody that will reject you, and you didn't know they was going to reject you. We can't escape it. And that's why we're talking about it tonight, because we need to understand that we can't escape rejection. It's always going to be present. Mm -hmm. We are aware that not everyone will accept us. It is a fact that we will experience rejection time and time again in this life. The challenge is to realize that God does not leave us nor forsake us even in our seasons of rejection. We have to first realize that even though humans have rejected us, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you, this is the first lesson you have to learn about rejection, is that when you get rejected, you have to know that was people that rejected you, not God who rejected you. We have to know that, that as much as it hurt, as much as I feel pain of rejection, that was a man, that was a woman, that was people who rejected me but God didn't reject me we must remember just like Jesus did that God is in control even when we are rejected it is so easy for us to lose sight of the hand of God when we experience rejection we have to get This understanding that when we are rejected, it has nothing to do with God. We got to hold on to that because we think sometimes when people reject us that that maybe, you know, God is not happy with us or 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 God is taking us through something. And we come up with all these these thoughts about what's going on when in actuality that was just the person rejecting you had nothing to do with God. Now, you may be saying, well, why did God let it happen? Well, rejection is going to happen, and he can't just stop all your rejections. Moses was one of the greatest leaders of people the world has ever seen. It was quite an undertaking to lead millions of homeless Jewish people through the wilderness as he did. The daily challenges he faced would overwhelm most people. 
it was not easy for Moses to gain the respect of Israel, especially since they knew he had grown up in the lap of the luxury in the home of Pharaoh while they were living in oppression. Yet under anointing of the Lord, Moses was elevated to a place of leadership over God's people. More than once, Moses faced the feelings of rejection by those he was trying to lead into the promised land. He also found the old saying, the ones you help the most are the ones who hurt you the most. Moses experienced that just like Jesus experienced that. And you're going to experience that. And anybody that's in any kind of leadership will experience that. The ones you help the most are the ones who hurt you the most. One instance where Moses faced rejection was when he returned from Sinai, ready to deliver the law of God, that the law God had given him. The Israelites worship uh, of the golden calf was rejection of what Moses had taught them regarding worship. In many ways, it was frustrated Moses to deal with their action. But he did the one thing he knew was best. He returned to the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai to pray. The best thing we can do when we feel people rejecting us is return to the presence of the Lord. So what we must understand is when we get rejected, it was people that rejected us. It was not God who rejected you and you must go to God and experience God's presence because where God's presence is, you will never experience any kind of rejection. When you get into the presence of the Lord, you will never experience rejection. Rejection does not exist in the presence of the Lord, but rejection will exist among one another and in this earth. But when we get into the presence of the Lord, all we can do is just say, God, you're such a good God. God, you're such a faithful God. God, you're such a kind God. When I come into your presence, it just seems like nothing else matters. And you just wrapped your arms around me. And no matter what wrong I have done, no matter how much I disobeyed you, when I get into your presence, I feel peace. I feel comfort. I feel joy. I feel protected. I feel like I'm being kept and held. And so God, I thank you for allowing us to come into your presence even when mankind has rejected us. We need to thank God for the privilege and the opportunity that we can run into him. We can run to him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And so if we will run unto the Lord, we will be safe. If we will run unto the Lord, we will be upheld. If we will run unto the Lord, Rejection won't matter to us. We all have been rejected. We all will continue to be rejected. And I ask you tonight to open your heart to what I am saying. And don't be the one tonight that just like to be strong and try to tough it all out and says, I can handle it. But will you open your heart to the Lord tonight and let the Lord help you to understand and let the Lord strengthen you to deal with rejection and let
the Lord's presence overtake you so you don't have to just hurt and keep hurting and keep being frustrated and keep living a life in a bubble where you think nobody can penetrate it because there's no way to exist in this earth without being rejected. So forget about your bubble. Forget about the, the, the safe zone that you think you're in. Forget about building your walls. But make sure you go to Jesus. Make sure you know Jesus did not reject you. Make sure you go to Jesus. It's a lot of things that's going on with people that we don't realize. Sometimes people get rejected by someone else. They come around you and they behave a certain way and you might not be patient enough with them to realize they just got rejected and that's why they're behaving like that. And it just keeps going and spiral out of control and before you know it, they, they, they fall away from God and it's because they got rejected and we know rejection bring about great pain and pain caused you to just stay focused on that. Moses received an assurance on his second trip up the mountain that God was with him and would lead him. There are times we all need to go back to a place of prayer and allow God to reassure us that he is in control even when we feel our world is spinning out of control. Even when it feels like it's going out of control, we need to go to God and pray and seek his face. Prior to the anointing of Saul as the first king of Israel, Samuel had served as judge for the people. He was well liked and respected. He had proven himself to have the mind of God and to serve rather than rule. But like any human being, time rolled on and age began to take its toll on Samuel. The Israelites began to realize that Samuel was advancing in years and it did not appear there would be a new judge on the horizon. In one of their less than spiritual moments, they began to look at the nations around them and the kings who ruled those nations. To the Israelite, that type of leadership seemed desirable. They quickly asked Samuel to appoint them a king like the other nations of the earth. Can you imagine how Samuel must have felt as it were not enough to realize he was getting older? We know when we're getting older, somehow it makes you vulnerable. It makes you realize that my end is near as we're getting older. And so Samuel realized, my end is near. I'm getting older. And so I already am battling with being not a part of everybody. I know I'm different because I'm getting older. They, he knew that and he was battling with that. Now they were telling him he was too old to be effective, to be an effective judge. The internal emotions and feelings had to be difficult to deal with. After all, everyone wants to feel needed and appreciated. Everyone wants to feel needed and appreciated. And if you say, not me, something is not right with you or you can't be human. Everybody wants to feel needed and appreciated. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, or, or how in between in age you are. Every person walking this earth wants to feel needed and appreciated. And even though Samuel's getting older, he wanted to feel needed and appreciated. While the Israelites still appreciated him, they no longer needed or wanted him as their leader. 
the sense of rejection would have been overwhelming. After all the years of faithful service, to be left with the people wanting him to get out of the way and let someone else take his place had to be a tough pill to swallow. Interestingly, we do not find that Samuel complained or bemoaned his situation to others around him. He did not crawl off in a corner and grab a blanket while he sucked his thumb. Instead, Samuel found a place to pray and talk to God. He went directly to God and began to tell God what had happened. Like God didn't know, but that's what we do. That's who you go to and talk to when you feel rejected. God quickly brought some perspective to Samuel when he responded. God responded to Samuel this way. They have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, Samuel. So when you are doing God's will, when you're living for God and people reject you, they're not rejecting just you, they're rejecting God. What a moment of enlightenment to come to the realization that as long as we are doing God's will, any rejection that comes our way should never be taken personally. Rather keep it in perspective and realize that many times people are not rejecting you as much as they are rejecting God who is inside of you. As a young shepherd boy, David experienced a fair amount of solitude. However, after his anointing to be the next king of Israel, he thrust into the public eye and interacted with people on a regular basis. He enjoyed incredible favor with Israel for most of the days he ruled. But every now and then, Scripture gives us a glimpse into David's struggle with rejection. Perhaps no rejection is more piercing than rejection from a family member. The rejection that I'm talking about here is... His son, Absalom. But as I was reading that, I also realized David was rejected by his wife, his first wife, Michal. So as great as he was, as awesome as he was, he experienced rejection. Rejection is really tough, though, when it comes from a family member. Can you imagine how David must have felt when Absalom, his own son, attempted to overthrow him as the king? It had to be overwhelming gut punch, taking the breath away from him. Perhaps he expected it from enemies or from po politically ambitious men around him, but never from his son. He was never expecting his son to be the one to reject him. Even though it seemed Absalom was or would be successful in his attempt, God was at work behind the scenes. In our days of rejection, we may feel as if God has deserted us. What we do not know is what God is doing that we do not see. These would have been some of the darkest days of David's life. He wrote Psalm 3 during this time. The first couple of verses tell us just how David was feeling. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. He was troubled in his spirit because his enemies were seemingly too many to count. 
But before he descended into total despair, David went on to express his great confidence that God had not forgotten him. So David, because of his relationship with God, when he felt the rejection of his son, he was able to go to God and voice his feelings to God. What a great perspective for all of us to gain during our season of rejection. When you are at your lowest, God is the lifter up of your head. He will hear you and smite all your enemies and ultimately bring you to victory. Hmm. Hebrews 13 and 5 declares, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. For thousands of years of human history, God had never broken this this promise that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is going to be with us in our moments of rejections. That's a promise. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So it means in your moment, in your season of rejection, God will be with you. That's a promise. And so when you feel the pain of rejection, you just need to find a place to talk to the Lord and say, God, it hurts. It hurts to feel this kind of rejection. But I know you were rejected, Lord. And so tonight I'm just asking you to heal my heart. I'm just asking you, Lord God, to allow me to experience your presence. That, Lord, where your presence is, there can be liberty for me. And so, God, even though I'm having this pain of rejection, I'm trusting your presence because I know you will never leave me nor forsake me. You will never reject me. God will never reject you. God cannot reject you. Bishop Bernard preached an eloquent message Sunday night in in, in, um, Irvington. And I might have to preach that message one day. It was so good. But what he said was, Grace has the last word. Oh, man, it rocked me. And what he's basically saying is the goodness of God will be the last thing that will come to you. But it's still up to you what you will do with it. The goodness of God will be the last thing that comes to you. Whether it's the loving uh, presence of God, whether it's his kind words coming to you, whether it's instructions on how to be saved, the goodness of the Lord will be the last thing you experience before you are totally demolished. It won't be the worst thing you will last get. It will be the grace of God. Grace has the final word. And so that's why when the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he is, that's money. You can bank on that because God is so good that he will never reject you. If you never make it to heaven, if you never get where God wants you to go, it's because you didn't get there. But it wasn't because God said, I reject you. Oh, help us, Lord. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, tested, above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. This would include rejection. The escape after 
you experience rejection is getting into the presence of God. This verse let us know with the temptation, with the test, God will also provide a way of escape. In other words, when the rejection come, he will give you a way to handle the rejection, which is to seek him and pray so you can get into his presence. Prayer helps us get through the feelings of rejection and refocus our hearts and mind in the right direction. So when you are hurt because of rejection, your focus is off. When you are hurt because of rejection, you can't think straight. You won't come to church. You won't pray. You won't treat people right. You won't do what you need to do right because your focus is off because of your hurt. This is why it's very important that we realize we can't judge one another when we're struggling. Here's some truth. Help us, Holy Ghost. Here's some truth. Some of us that get rejected and experience in the hurt will come to church, but church won't impact your life because you just did it because you know it's the right thing. But the hurt was so intense that you didn't allow what, what was transpiring in the atmosphere to have any impact on you. So you came, but nothing changed in your life. But it's all because of the rejection, the hurt that you experienced. The other person that experienced the rejection, they just didn't come at all. But what's the difference in coming or not coming? Because if the power of God is not impacting your life, you and the person that's hurt as well, that's rejected as well, are in the same place. Same place. So it does, we can't brag because we, we got rejected and we were able to show up and come here and say, well, I went to church. Okay, great. But how did church impact your life? That other person just stayed home. Yeah, but you're no different from them because you're so hurting from the rejection that you didn't allow anything to impact you. And so God is trying to tell us here tonight that when we get rejected, we, we gotta run to Him. We gotta reach out to Him. We gotta launch out to Him. We gotta seek Him and begin to pray till we enter into His presence so He can comfort us and so we can experience His peace. That's the only way we're gonna experience anything other than just pain. We got to go in his presence. Jesus prayed after experiencing rejection in three cities where he had done the miraculous. He was recognizing that God was in control and offered comfort to all those who were weary, comfort to all those who were were heavy laden. We need to recognize the same thing in our lives. Prayer helps us refocus and Realize that having God's favor is more important than man's favor. Can I say that again? Having, having God's favor is more important than having man's favor. I know that there's men that are in great position that can do things for us here in the world, but there is no comparison of having man's favor over God's favor. And so we gotta just take it and say, no matter what goes on with this flesh and what goes on in this world with mankind. The favor of God is more important than the favor of anyone else. So while people reject me, I still have the favor of God. Somebody rejecting you does not diminish God's favor in your life. As humans, we all have basic desires to be accepted by others. 
This is one of the reasons rejection can hurt so deeply. Yep. One of the best ways to overcome rejection is to pray for those who have rejected you. Maybe I need to say that again. Maybe that went over your head. One of the best ways to overcome rejection is to pray for those who have rejected you. The very person that rejected you, you got to spend some time. Remember now, prayer is not just saying some words for a few minutes and just go about your business. Prayer is us interacting with God and then giving God the opportunity to speak back to us, to interact with us, to direct us. We need answers from God. We got to get to a place where we stop praying and walking on about our business because those are the things that's causing us to slow down in serving God because we just went and talked to him and got up and walked away never listened for him and so because we're not hearing from God we think God is not talking God we think God isn't talking but what are we doing telling God what's on our bucket list and then we keep walking and then we expect for God to show up and help us fulfill our bucket list and when he doesn't do it that's why I ain't going to church today not messing with church today. Why? God didn't help you with the bucket list thing that you had to do today? Mm-hmm. We need to pray for those that have rejected us. This is not always easy, but it's always right. Praying for the ones who have rejected you is not always easy, but it's right. As we pray for those who have rejected us, we develop a sincere compassion for them. We also strengthen our personal ability to better handle rejection in the future. As long as we live and work with people, there will be times of rejection. If we can learn to respond in the spirit and go to God in prayer, we will be better equipped to handle rejection. And so I close with this story. You know it a little bit. But I got a twist to it tonight. Leah was never respected by her father. In that day, it was the father's responsibility to arrange his daughter's marriage. During the seven years Jacob worked for Rachel, Laban could have tried to find a husband for Leah. Remember, Leah was older than Rachel, and so a good father would say, I'm going to marry off my oldest daughter first, and so you know you got to do what it requires to marry off your, your oldest daughter first. And so he had the choice. He could have done that. And so if he had offered a big enough dowry, he would have someone to marry Leah. So the Bible teaches us that Leah's eyes was... Kind of weird. Let me see it that way. So Leah's eyes was kind of weird, and maybe she wasn't the prettiest. And so her daddy never got her a husband. And so my thought is maybe if the daddy would have offered enough dowry, enough to give to a good man, a good man may have married her. But the daddy didn't do that. Apparently he 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 thought she was hopeless. As a marriage prospect. He didn't try to do anything. 
He just rendered her hopeless as a marriage prospect because he's thinking that she wasn't the prettiest. And so he just, just left it alone. Didn't even try. The only way to get rid of her was to palm her off on poor Jacob, who was besotted with love for Rachel. So we know the story that Jacob saw Leah's sister, Rachel. She was, Rachel was the youngest, and, and Jacob fell in love with Rachel. He wanted to be with Rachel, but Leah, her older sister, was not married. So it was not going to be good again. Here go the dad again. It was not going to be good for the younger sister to get married before the older sister, right? Especially when the parents are in charge or responsible for setting up and arranging the marriage. Can you imagine how Leah must have cringed? When Jacob looked at her in the morning light in shock, distaste, and anger. For those of you that don't know the story, Jacob um, worked for seven years so he could marry Rachel. And so when the seven years came, Rachel's dad said, all right, Jacob, um, I'm going to, you know, have the, the ceremony. They did the whole ceremony, everything. And of course, you know, it's nighttime and he consummated the marriage in the darkness and, you know, slept, you know, had a good time consummating the marriage. And then when morning time came, he woke up and he saw it wasn't the one that he was working for. It was not Rachel. It was Leah. The father tricked him. Because in the father's mind, I still needed to marry off my oldest daughter. And this was the only opportunity. This is the crookedest way I can do it. See, it's such a word as crooked as. But, but, but he married Leah, got Leah married to Jacob, and Jacob was just, just hurt and mad and angry because he thought he was getting a bride that he had already, you know, vouched for and, and, and spoken for, and he worked seven years, no wages. I just want her. Y'all try working seven years for your spouse. Never. Never. No wages. So he was upset when he woke up in the morning thinking he had his bride and they was getting ready to hold hands and skip through the community. He realized it was their sister. Oh, Jacob was devastated. <laughs> that terrible deception of Jacob's wedding night set in motion much of the grief that family experienced for decades to come. Sadly, Leah didn't deserve that rejection. Poor Leah. What, what did she have to do with the, the whole situation? She was who she was. She was born the way she was born. And so she was the one that was rejected by her daddy and by her husband. Apparently, her rejection was based on her looks, her weak eyes. Nobody noticed her character, her inner self, or her mind. God stepped in to let Leah know she was valuable to him by allowing her to bear children. So when when Jacob married Leah, he's married now, so he still got a that's his wife. And so Leah, uh, God touched her in a special way, and she bared four children for Jacob. And so still Leah suffered her husband's rejection. So no matter what. She was suffering her husband's rejection because, guess what? Uh, he didn't love her. That's not who he wanted. Leah knew she wasn't loved. She wasn't fooled, and she didn't fool herself. Her spiritual journey led her to reality and acceptance, and her awareness of God indicates a stable relationship with God that sustained her and gave her the strength to endure her painful circumstances. 
her spiritual growth reflected in the names she gave her children. So how do we know she had a decent relationship with God? Because what she named her children. So the first child, she named him Reuben, right? So she conceived and Reuben came on the scene. And it is because the Lord, she named him Reuben because she said, the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So she she bared a child, her first child, and she said, you know what? Now that I give him a son, because back then and still today, I think, you know, having a son is important to a man. And so it was even more important back then. So when she bared a son for Jacob, he like, she was like, yeah, I know my husband is going to appreciate me now. Didn't change anything. As the account continues, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. Simeon means one who hears. Certainly my husband will hear me now. Before long, Leah had another son. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi or Levi. Levi sound like the word attached in Hebrew. So she figured her husband would be attached. Three sons. Three sons. Uh-huh. It seems she had finally faced the fact that Jacob would probably never love her because it never made him love her for those three sons. He never did love her like he did love Rachel. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. That son's name was Judah. We know that. This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah means praise. After years of pain, rejection, rejection, Leah's entire focus turned from people to God. Just think about all three of her sons was named according to her feelings. The first three was all named according to how she felt. And the fourth one was named according, according to how she feel about God. And so this time she didn't mention Jacob at all. Instead, she got her sense of worth from God. She knew God valued her. He had proved it to her in a way that was understood in that culture. He gave her four children at that time. She was devalued by her father. She was rejected by her husband. She was envied by her sister, but she was loved by God. And that fact gave her the strength to go on. When we get rejected, we have to go to Jesus Christ because he is the one that will always comfort us. He is the one that will always make it better. And so we have to stop getting rejected and just get wrapped up in that rejection and stop being wrapped up in the hurt and stop going off by ourselves in the closet and, and start laying low and coming to church and, and covering ourselves where we can't be hurt anymore. We just have to make ourselves 
open and say, God, I've been rejected by man. This wasn't the first time and it won't be the last time. But God, I trust you. I take you at your word that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And so, God, I come to you in all my distress, in all my hurt, in all my rejection, in all my pain. It doesn't matter what anybody may think about me. It doesn't matter what anybody may say about me. I'm not going to let anything stop me, Lord, from coming to you. My heart hurt, and only you can heal me. Only you can make me whole. Only you can comfort me. Only you can deliver me. Only you can make it better. And so when I'm rejected and when I'm hurt, God, I have no place else to go but to you. It doesn't make sense to complain. It doesn't make sense to go to anybody else. It doesn't make sense to tell nobody what somebody else has done to me. But God, I come to you. I sit at your feet and I will cry my tears. I will call on your name. I will lift my hands. I will worship you. I will pray and praise. I will seek you. I know, God, you will give me comfort. I know, God, you will give me direction. I know, God, you will lift me up. I know, God, you will make it all better. God, for everyone that's struggling in here tonight because of rejection, for everyone that's crippled by rejection, for everyone that seems to can't move forward because of rejection, for everyone, Lord, that are bound and can't get ahead, for everyone that's trying to cover up and trying to build their fortress, Lord, will you help them tonight? Lord, will you allow them to open up their heart? And God, will you begin to mend their broken heart? Will you begin to heal them and make them whole tonight, Lord God? That rejection, Lord, will no longer have power over them. That rejection, Lord, will no longer rule them. In the name of Jesus, will you help us tonight, Lord, that we can be whole again, that we can be healed again, that we can be strong again, that we can be, oh God, walk in faith again. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, for deliverance tonight, that you'll break the chains that had us bound, that chain of rejection. For God, we keep living our life, oh God, trying to protect ourselves, trying to prevent rejection. But tonight, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that every person that's been living their life to avoid rejection, that you will help them tonight, that your still loving voice will speak to them, that your comforting presence will be upon them, and God, they will not be the same when they leave here tonight, but the power of God will overshadow them, the power of God will help them, the power of God will make them free, 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 whole, and oh my God, strengthen, I give you honor and praise, will you do it tonight, Lord, will you do it tonight, Lord, will you heal tonight, Lord, will you bring peace tonight, Lord, will you bring joy tonight, Lord, will you bring salvation tonight, Lord, Oh, Lord, 
Oh, you may be rejected by people, but it didn't mean that God rejected you. God said he will never reject you. God said you're the apple of his eye. God said he created you in his image. God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. God says you could not do anything so bad to make him turn his back on you. Because grace has the final word. And God says I'm not ever turning my back on you. You don't have to worry about a thing. You don't have to worry about what you have done. And oh my God. On the name of Jesus. I come against that spirit of guilt tonight. In the name of Jesus. I bind the spirit of guilt. In the name of Jesus. I take authority over guilt tonight. In the name of Jesus. I cast guilt out in outer darkness in the name of Jesus. I loose upon you the joy of the Lord in the name of Jesus. I loose upon you the strength of the Lord in the name of Jesus. I pray that God will encourage you tonight. That you'll be encouraged by the power of God. That you'll be encouraged by the word of God. I pray tonight that God's strength will be upon you and you will walk out tonight with your shoulders squared with the power of God uh, moving and reigning uh, and no longer will you uh, succumb to your rejection uh, and succumb to the people that try to hold you hostage uh, and hold you captive uh, tonight in the name of Jesus. Uh, I pray that the captivity that you've been in uh, that you will come out in the name of Jesus uh, and the power of God will free you uh, and you will move uh, and move by the power of God uh, and in His presence and in the peace of the Lord and in the joy of the Lord nothing by any means from God will harm you oh hallelujah oh God help us God heal us tonight we cry out to you Lord only you can do it Lord God and so we cry out to you Take our heart, Lord, and mold it. Take our mind, Lord, transform it. God, will you change us? God, will you help us? God, will you do what only you can do? That, Lord Jesus, we will not allow rejection to take us out of the game, Lord. Lord, we know that we will experience rejection again. Will you prepare us, Lord? Will you equip us, Lord, that when we experience it, Lord God, it will not cause us to go away from you. It will not cause us to be lost. It will not cause us to go astray. It will not cause us, Lord God, to stop doing what you want us to do. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. There is none like you. All glory and honor belongs to you. We bow before you. We honor you, Lord God. We exalt your holy name, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there is none like you. Oh, Jesus, how excellent is your name. Oh, Jesus. Oh, we love you. Oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Keep your heart open to Jesus. Keep your mind stayed on Jesus. Walk in the path of righteousness. Let the Lord lead you and guide you in all your ways. Let the Spirit of the Lord oh, work in you and through you. Be patient in all things. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 Lord. God bless you.